0: Salute Sunderland in the studio with me. We're also joined by the former editor of The Wayside, Raw, Tom Lynn. Just what the hell is going on, people? i tell you what, I labelled last week's Uh, podcast Panic on Wearside, but this is Panic on Wearside, because now, uh, I suppose, in true Sunderland fashion, the must-win game of all must-win games, and of course Sunderland done nothing of the sort, so we shouldn't really be surprised, I suppose, but um, we're going to talk about it anyway, so i have Gareth... Uh, Barker with me again from Salus Sunderland, and we have the former editor of the Wayside Raw, Tom Lane, of course, who still contributes for the official magazine of Sunderland, Legion of Light, and of course, a love to Premier Care okay, guys. Yeah, fine, thanks. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I suppose I'm just thinking about that intro music there, and I, I suppose it would be a lot more conve- a lot more appropriate if I had some violin music or some sort. The way everybody's <laughs> feeling sorry for themselves at the moment, you know, it's. We should be used to it, I suppose, but we're going to just dive straight into this, I suppose. We Forget about the tactics and formations and all that. We're going to come to that later, but just what's striking me at the moment, um, from the last two games in particular, um, and especially the Norwich game, is just the lack of leadership and quality. At the end of the day, when the players cross the, cross the line, there's no risk-taking or anything. Nobody's taking responsibility in the middle of the park. Is this just down, Gareth, to a lack of ability... Or is it, are the players not applying themselves as it should be? Some of these players are international players. Remember,
1: um, just clarify. We've talked about the Norwich game, so I say I wasn't at the game. I just wanted, but I did watch it because I was away. So my perspective is based on the television and not being at the match. So <laughs> just so if, <laughs> in case I'm, I'm completely wrong or something like that. But um, yeah, I said a couple of weeks ago, and regarding it, it is an ability issue. Firstly, because. The players have proved over time that they aren't really quite good enough. Um they are they are trying. I would say that there's no lack of effort, but when it you know, you need, you need more than effort. Tom, how is this a lack of confidence
0: though, or what? Because I mean for example, we're watching a game and it's pretty obvious where a ball sometimes needs to go from left to right and it's taken Seb Larson's probably the worst defender for it. It's taken him four or five touches to get the ball across. He's taken too many touches, as they all are, more than they need. Is that just down to confidence?
2: I think we've got ourselves into a position where it is a lack of confidence now. Um, you could see against Norwich, particularly in the second half, that uh, several players weren't taking a lot of responsibility. You know, We rely on you know, the likes of John O'Shea. Um, Mingley and Gould did really well again. But generally, there just wasn't enough... Um, Finesse in the team, you know. It's it's sort of um, quite obvious when you watch Sunderland week in week out that um, there isn't a set game plan. There's not a a pattern. We have too many players playing out of position. We've had. too long a run with you know probably using the same players, I mean you touched on Sebastian Larson there, I don't really like singling out individuals but to be honest you, you've got to single out Seb, <laughs> he's playing in a, a position that isn't alien to him because he's played there for Sweden and at a an national level we suggest that obviously a lot of people think that he's a good player in that position mm-hmm. but you can only judge what you actually see over the course of a season mm-hmm. and Seb Larson in central midfield for Sullen just been an absolute disaster yeah. and personally I think if it isn't changed soon that will be one of the major contributory factors to Sullen being relegated
0: Right.
1: I mean, what do you? I, the, I was really shocked that Ndi was dropped. Like, I know people there's mixed opinions about Ndi, but at least he gives you something that those other two players who played, you know, he gets into the box. I watched the game, and the first time David Vaughan got into the box was in the 65th minute of that game. <laughs> 65 minutes to go to for to get near the box. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be. I know you're playing 4-4-2, but you've got to be getting into the box. you've as a centre midfielder, you got to fancy yourself to getting on the end of stuff, and mm. you know, and die does get in the box.
0: That was a strange one for me as well. I suppose it's it's as if he's took him out, you know, out the pressure cooker or something. But I suppose it contradicts the whole reason why I bought him in the first place, doesn't it? But um, I, one thing we have criticised, in the, you know, we we've touched upon in the last couple of uh, podcasts, is the full-backs from a defensive point of view. And um, we can flip that for Sunday from Sunday's game because I for the first time in a while they actually did get forward and, and contribute I thought and it's probably a bit overdue but you know again all I was thinking when Danny Rose in particular was getting the ball uh, Tom and he was driving forward into the midfield and trying to make things happen from a central midfield position is that is that worrying because although it's positive our full backs are getting forward that isn't his job to do that and is that him taking responsibility is that is that a, bad, a sad indictment of the, the central midfielders and how, how they're not performing
2: yeah, well, I mean, um, first and foremost, Danny Rose is a um, left-sided midfield player by trade who mm-hmm. who actually was converted to a left back. And I think what's happening at the moment is what he gets frustrated when we're when we're not attacking, um, you know, too much. And I think that he, he does take it upon himself to, to to go forward, probably into positions where theoretically he's not supposed to be. Um, he has been one of our better players this season, but. Uh, you know, there the will be times against better sides where, if you know, if he maintains his sort of like attitude, which in some ways is commendable because he just gets frustrated and wants to do something about it. Yep. But conversely, you know, he could be caught out defensively when you're playing against mm-hmm. teams who, you know, play without and out attacking right-sided players.
0: Yeah. I mean, w- one thing I've always noticed is sometimes when you watch a side, you know, maybe from the championship on the telly, and and their full-backs really come into the game and start dictating play almost. you, you automatically think. That player's too good for that team because that's what tends to happen. They start dictating the player from a fullback position. I always remember Ryan Taylor used to do it for Tranmere before he um, found himself in the Premier League. But <laughs> um, again, forget forget about sort of whether they should be in the side, tactics and formations and whatever, Gareth. Stephen Fletch and Danny Graham, um, it isn't working. Um, they are making the same runs and they don't look like they're compatible. Should should they be taking responsibility to differentiate themselves from one another, or is it basically not their job? Because it's just, once you're on the pitch again, once you cross the line, you should be trying to make that partnership work the best you can. They don't even look like they're talking to each other.
1: Um, I think, in fairness, there were a few signs early on in that in that game um, that there was a nice knockdown by Graham and Fletcher couldn't quite get on it, and I think the keeper scrambled a save, um, and there was there was little bits in. Funnily enough, Fletcher's one of my recent bugbears actually because I think he's been quite poor in in the last month. Um, and Graham's been getting a lot of stick for, you know, he's come in and he hasn't scored yet, and his roots and all this. Is, the longer you go without a goal, the mm-hmm. bigger your roots become. Um, and I think Graham actually played reasonably well um, in the game. He was dropping in and laying stuff off, and he, there was a few miscontrols in there, but he was trying to get him into the game where Fletcher just kind of. He was, I thought Fletcher was actually really. So we haven't poor, we haven't got a
0: scenario again, like we had with Darren Bent, level where it went. Jean came in and it looked like Bent looked like he had all the pro- problems in the world. Like Jean had stolen his thunder, kind of thing. No, no, I, well, I hope I we're not going
1: down that you know, road. Are we? I don't think Fletcher's like What do you think, Tom? I don't know. No, I don't think <laughs> Fletcher. I think Fletcher's
2: like a, a, an honest pro. Um, I think he's, you know, he's, his past career shows that he scores his goals in in sort of like batches and then has a, a sort of like a lane spell, mm-hmm. and that's something we're, we're suffering with, you know. Um, we, we we do over the years we've we've relied on like individuals to score the majority of goals whereas, you know, s- successful sides w- within reason have for example a couple of centre midfield players who will win with at least five or six goals a season. Mm. And you know, we've got players who you know, Colbach hasn't scored this season. Lee <laughs> Catamole who doesn't play that often anyway, hasn't scored in four seasons. <laughs> and I think it's another like major problem that uh Sullen need to address. I think Danny Graham, you know, um Gareth rightly said, there's a, "There's a he's a focal point of the team because of the time it took to get him, because of his Newcastle routes and what he'd allegedly said in the past." Personally, having watched him so far, you, again, if you've been absolutely frank, he looks as though he's treading treacle half the time. He yeah. looks very slow. Bit, yeah. um, but you know, give a lad his due. He just, you know, he's trying. You can see that he's actually trying hard. So there's no, you know, no criticism level from that point of view. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think he he does need a goal very quickly. I mean, he's, he's he's probably suffering because he's he's been out a lot of the time at uh, at, at Swansea. He hasn't played a lot of first team football. But having said that, uh, I think a lot of this is you know you, we're looking for excuses all the time because at the end of the day, that spherical object, the football, that is his life. And he's training every day. He's playing in high tempo practice matches where the manager demands that they basically play within reason. You know, like a, a first team game. So it's not as though he's not playing football and then being asked to play on a Saturday. Yeah. So to me, he, you know, he needs. Match practice. He needs to get his fitness up, but most of all, he just needs a goal. Even if
1: it's off his backside yeah, in the night before he'd be disappointed with that. That Bonnie Shank wide, would not he?
0: Yeah. Well, if that, that if that goes in the whole competition, of the game, yeah. changes, that, was a, good, that it?
1: was a really good chance. I mean, he could have took a touch, couldn't he? But you snatch it when you're struggling, don't you? So we're goals. talking
0: about midfielders. Um, getting into the game and scoring goals. Craig garner has got a few goals this season from a right-back position. From the penalty spot. (laughs) Only half of them about from the penalty spot. But if we're going to go 4-4-2, which O'Neill seems hell-bent on doing, it wasn't my preferred thing, but he's doing it, we aren't getting the ball forward quickly enough. So would Conor Wickham, um, Gareth, not be a better choice to play... So we can get go more direct if we have to this isn't a choice I would go for like ideally but if you're going to play a 442 and one main problem we have is we aren't getting the ball forward quickly enough Conor Wickham surely would you would think would be suited to that role wouldn't you and maybe even I know you're against this but create garner back in the midfield to try and get but in the end of things
1: they've gone 442 but they haven't they haven't changed that how quick, quickly they're moving the ball forward like they're not he hasn't changed that element of the game they're still trying to work the ball through midfield. Mm-hmm. so yeah, well, I don't think that would make a difference if well I suppose my point is there.
0: to try and get the ball like I say Seb Larson sometimes taking four, five, six touches to get the ball out wide, we can get mm. the ball forward a little bit more, <laughs> go
1: a little bit more direct if we've got to but who's playing the ball is it O'Shea or Bramble or well, Quayla Because then you've got another problem. Well, Larson having. can play the ball, but he just play from further back. You have to drop in and pick the ball up off O'Shea outside the penalty area mm. and then launch it. Mm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I yeah. think you're going back to the you know the fact that you need central midfield players playing in central midfield, and if you know if if, if Bardsley's seen as you know being fit enough and can get some of his old form back. At least he is a right back. You could put him there. That would release Gardner. And going back to the comment about um, Endai, at least again he is a central midfielder. He hasn't set the world alight, but on the other hand, you know there are glimpses there. Mm -hmm. And he uh, looks bright
1: at times, doesn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, he does. I I think there's, you know, there's definitely something there with him. And I think play central midfielders in, you know, in in that position. I know it's like stating the obvious, but. without wanting to like, you know, board people, we are playing too many people yeah. out of position and yeah. you know, and you can say that these guys are uncomfortable with it, you know. Mm-hmm. shouldn't be asked to to do it. It's it's almost like uh you know, it's something you do maybe on a Sunday morning if you're short of players, but like we we have got players who can play in those positions. Yeah. The Barsey one's interesting because I I think, you know, even
0: though he hasn't been he hasn't had a very good season at all, I know he didn't have a pre season which which does make a difference but it just seems now, I mean, I can't believe that I'm even sort of saying that I think Gardner should be thrown into the midfield because I was so against that idea previously, it's unbelievable. But I think last season, we were talking before the Norwich game, we spoke about how that correspondent fixture last season was probably our best performance. And I had a look at the side who played that day and call back, and Gardner were in centre midfield with Larson on the right and McLean on the left. Is it, all, is it almost, Gareth, tempting to just sort of go back to that from last season, because we know we're getting by, just to try and see us over the line and worry about changing the side ready for next season
1: um, well they're going to have to he's not in a position to, to make stark changes, is he so he's only gonna, he can only go back or stick with what he's done with a four4 two so he can only really go back to a four five one in some element with the, the players at his disposal. I mean he's not it's interesting about players like Mangan if we'd been in better form you might have seen more of them, but we're not in a position where we're 2-3 0 up with no. you know 5 minutes to go and you can chuck Mangon on for 5 minutes and and then we're in we're in a very difficult situation and it's you can't really make changes it's going in there and going right I'm going to shake it up completely when you're losing games is I think going to the 4-4-2 was just a bit of a bad idea. Really hasn't worked agree, out. not a hard place.
0: Tommy, you you were looking for the four four two, is that right?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not still not against four four two, but I think it depends what you play in. You know, behind them basically in the midfield. And if you if you played somebody like die and Gardner, I think it would be like a lot more solid than than mm-hmm. what we've played in recent weeks. Um, I'm also agree that Conor Wickham would be my choice to play up front with. Uh, with Stephen Fletcher at the moment. I think Conor Wickham's been hung out to dry a little bit this mm. season. I think he's come on and done some, you know, had some good cameo performances as a sub. Mm-hmm. Um, he scored regularly for the under 21, so his confidence will be pretty high. I remember, for example, when we played Bolton away in the FA Cup, um, the reason that we, we got a two-wall drawdown at Bolton was because Conor Wickham came on as a sub and played up front with Stephen Fletcher. And, the, you know, the pair of them for like 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes terrorised Bolton, and that's how we got back. Then you get the replay at the Stadium Alight uh, Fletcher's not fit. So Conor Wickham plays, ups, plays you know, up front on his own. Um, 70 odd minutes, you're waiting for a substitution, up steps Fraser Campbell, you think, oh great, well at least he's going to put Fraser Campbell up front with Conor Wickham and have a go, and lo and behold he takes Conor Wickham off. Now to me, he hasn't trekked that lad fairly, I'm not trying to make out he's you know hmm. the, the greatest striker in, in the country, but I think he's, he has got potential, he's a strong lad, he's got physical ability that belies his age. And I think that uh, he would do us a job, you know. I mm-hmm. think he just needs, he needs a chance and he needs somebody to believe in him. It's interesting you mentioned that Bolton game
0: because it was Craig Garner who got the equaliser that day. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it just sort of solidifies the point I was making that mm-hmm. if we're going to play this 4-4-2, then it might be a better idea. Connor Wickham plays, holds the ball up, somebody like Craig Garner can arrive from midfield because there's a goal threat that we haven't got at
1: the moment. I thought, he, I thought when Wickham was, came in for Fletcher when he was injured for that spell, he looked very good and yep. we, that wasn't a 4-5-1 um, and I thought he was a bit unlucky he'd be dropped when Fletcher came back because he, yeah. he was looking good and yet he gave Luis who is a decent player no matter what people say I mean he's, he is a good player and he gave Luis a torrid time when we played Chelsea at yeah. home he gave him a really good game. I mean, and he's the, an experienced national player.
2: You know, at, at the end of the day, maybe only he may be only 18, but he cost eight million pounds, which is a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. um, and they have got to start making decisions when the the you know the saying about Alfred Ndi as well as saying, oh well, he costs three and a half million pounds. So theoretically, you think well, he should be in the team. He <coughs> signed him in January when we needed somebody, and and he's sort of been dropped. And there's like hints that maybe he's not experienced enough mm-hmm. for the situation. We're in. Um, Whether we're in a position to sign potential, rather yeah, than rather than proven pedigree. But I, f- I, f- I think I think Wickham just needs. As a saying needs somebody to believe in him. I remember when Steve Bruce first signed him. When the first few weeks of uh, last season we played Brighton away in the League Cup, and uh, we didn't have a striker on the pitch, and he paid eight million for Wickham. Yeah, yeah I remember. I'll and remember. you thought, well, if there's a game to like play Wickham in it's maybe in the Championship side in the League Cup. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, you know. So he he seems to have been having obstacles put in front of him since he first came to Sunderland, you know. And yeah. I just think it's it's time now that um, he he got his head basically. He mm-hmm. hasn't
1: really had an opportunity to prove his worth, has he? No. Like, because everyone will go eight million. What a waste of money. Uh-huh. And people, and then it also gets to the stage. I was reading somewhere, I think it was. The guy from Talk Sport was saying he cost twelve million, uh-huh. so, and it's yeah. that's really unfair. You know, yeah. he's eighteen, nineteen years old, mm-hmm. and he gets lumped with this false price tag twelve million well, quid. That's, that's the media do. Like know, uh, if somebody, know,
0: it's, 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 it's the same with Joe Nenderson, He costs twenty million quid when he's not playing very well, doesn't uh, he? Yeah. Even though, even yeah, though you know it wasn't yeah. really there at all. But going back to the Norwich game, where did we go wrong here? Norwich went down to ten men. So, at the end of the day, we can all you know have a go at the manager and say he should have done this. He should have took a defender off and this and that is it down to that um, Gareth or is it down to the players again you know once they cross across the white line should they be able to use the ball a little bit better
1: I think there's obviously elements of both um, regarding the manager um, I mean I I've, I've said I was baffled that he dropped and die and brought Vaughan in um, if he brought Vaughan in and and Put a, put him in with and die and drop Larson. I say fair enough because Larson seem does seem a bit undroppable. Like we've talked about, it. he he doesn't really he's straight. Even when he's rested for one game, he's straight back in the next what one. A, what
0: about actually when when Norwich went down ten men? What do you think should have been done then?
1: Um, I think he was right to stick with the way we were playing. It was early, well it was half an hour into the game, so he still got 60 minutes in the game after mm-hmm. after the sending off. I think O'Neill, one of O'Neill's faults maybe is he doesn't look to change things. Any time in the game, it, it does take him a long time to make substitutions and often they are like for like, he'll rarely go, you know, he has taken Bardsley off before fullback I think and then he's brought a, an extra midfielder or forward mm. on or changed it but because he got the, like you know you are saying about the players in other positions, mm. then what happens is you'll bring a midfielder on for the left back, move the left back to the centre midfield, move the right back to the left back <laughs> drop if if Garner's playing the middle, he'll drop down to right back, and then yeah. will come out on the right wing, and my, my issue, everything again. My
0: issue with, was with the players. I've got to be honest because against ten men, and here's a cliche for you, they're always going to up, shut up, shop right. But they're going to they're going to naturally do that, and it's hard to break, it's hard to break teams down. But just from a football players' perspective, they don't need their manager to tell them to play further up the field and start moving the ball about quicker it might look for 20 minutes like you're not getting anywhere the crowd might start getting a bit frustrated but you know when you've played football yourself right when when you're a man down or a man up if you have more possession you move the ball quickly quickly little interchanges one twos in and around their penalty area their players start getting tired eventually gaps start to open up but we didn't do it we were working the ball from left to right in such a laboured manner Tom and If the player's got to take responsibility here sometimes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the old cliche, you know, the manager and coach and staffing prepare them so much. But at the end of the day, you know, the majority of players who played against Norwich last week are experienced pros and, you know, they know the crack. I think one of the turning points of the game, apart from obviously their goalkeeper being sent off and, you know, the the, the incidents from Norwich's perspective, not getting the penalty in the second half, etc., I thought was Danny Graham's miss Mm. uh, just before Mm -hmm. half time. It was the type of miss to be honest. If you did it at twenty to eleven on a Sunday morning, somebody would have suggested that you you know you you just got in from the night before, <laughs> but, you know. And it, it proves that footballers are human. Um, and you also had a, a big incident near the end. It hasn't been referred to very much, you know. Cessonian missed an absolute oh, sitter. A, yeah, you know, he, he got through. So there, there's potentially three one. So you know, Norwich might have been down to ten men, but I think it, it a lot of it goes back to Sunderland just lacking in real confidence and, and having. Having a, a again, it's a cliche, but lacking some real leadership on the yeah. on the yeah. pitch. Somebody who, you know, like we've done about Danny Rose before. You know, he sort of gets annoyed and he he, he ploughs up field this, that, and the other. But the, the, there's only him seems to have that sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure the rest of them do want to win every game they're playing and they're giving everything. But uh, I just think we need some we need some other qualities. Somebody to lead us, really drive us forward.
0: I mean, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep saying it. I I won't change my mind on this. I I just feel that at the moment he needs to change. I feel personally he needs to change and play this four-five-one, four-three-three, to have possession of the ball in the middle of the park because we're not having it Mm -hmm. when we have it. For example, if we have Larson playing alongside another. In the, in the centre of midfield and they are taking four or five touches that will help as well if there's three of them in there it's going to help we're going to move the ball we're going to keep the ball we're going to be able to move it faster and just I know it just seems to be sticking with what he has but is it, is it time for change Gareth? does he need to change his formation? does he need to do something?
1: well I think we have players in the squad to play a certain way I was, I was talking about this last week we never really got round to it um, we could play like a Christmas tree for <laughs> would be like, "But don't laugh, because i I've just never heard that, f- that for a that, while. That's that 1996. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, But you could, because you cause you've got we've got loads of centre backs, we've got loads of centre midfielders. Rose could play left wing back. You've got um El Mahamedi on loan plays right back for for Egypt. Mm-hmm. That that's where he plays. Bring him back and put him in there. And then you've got Sessignon and Johnson. You could just play them off one striker as you. As you are floating midfielders, you have got two defensive se- ten- defensive central midfielders, two wing backs, and three centre backs. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got the players to fill to fill those positions naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe Rhodes would be the one you'd be thinking, oh, you know, is he is he capable of playing wing back? But he does get up and down. Um, I, s- I suppose my only that, that my, work, my only know? issue I think with that is getting to the sort of business end
0: of the season. Do we make a That's radical, what we're yeah, about. Radical That's what we're thing, about Before yeah. we're
1: not in a position where mm-hmm. you can give. Well, let's give this lad five minutes mm-hmm. you know he's under pressure to play Graham because he's paid five million but I think him, so I think four, four five four, one two. four
0: three three is is a pretty safe formation you can turn to but, though. I don't know, think I the, don't think it's so radical you know and and that you just have one up front again and then you have someone maybe Sessignon and Fle- um Cessignon and Johnson or on and Larson supporting the forward and just three in midfield holding onto the ball I suppose Steve Bruce used to flick between the two quite often and I always thought we played better with three in the middle to be honest like but, but who
1: would, So, you, are you dropping who Who are you putting so you're playing session you're on like 4-4-1 four, four, are you playing session on one? no are you I would play it, if front? it was a
0: 4-5-1 4-3-3 three, three, I would play on y, I would keep my at wide and I would have two sitting midfielders Probably well, you know, and Die and Vaughan possibly and Die and Larson with Gardner playing a little bit
1: advanced. Well, I don't see and Die is sitting midfielder anyway. I'd, I'd say I'd could see and Die playing as the more advanced midfielder of the three mm-hmm. because he actually does get himself about. Um, that's one of the things we were talking about with static centre midfielders moving the ball side to side, backwards side to side, backwards. You know, you need we need somebody in there who's going to drive us on, and it's a it's a bit of a worry that Catamore's not going to be fit for the rest of the season. I I, I think he gives us a bit of tempo in there. Um, that's a it's well, a real problem. Yeah,
0: I suppose. I mean, I, I probably use a wrong term by sitting midfielders. I I suppose my point was just that I would have Craig Garner as the most advanced of the three because I suppose it's good that and Die can get forward, and ideally him and he and he and, Cat- he and Catamore would of course because they can get up and down the pitch they would have been playing higher up allowing us to play higher up and our offensive players to get the ball more but how would you go Tom um, generally now for the midfielders for the rest of the season?
2: Um, I, I think I agree with what we said before I'd probably play um, Ces wide right um, Adam Johnson wide left although there is a there is an argument for McLean to play wide left because he gets his work rate in um, but Adam Johnson's you know probably got a bit more about him so yeah Cesson Johnson on the wing and centre midfield I would go for a three of um, you know this is everybody being fit Of and die probably in the middle playing further up the field with Colbach to his left and mm. Craig Garden to his right I I'd be tempted for that as well um, I think Pressing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at, at times you you know you you've, you you've just you've got to be honest with yourself as to what you're saying. This is what Martin O'Neill's got. To, he's got to sit with his backroom stuff, and they've got to cut through all the rubbish and all the whims. And you know this could happen, that could happen. They've got to sit down and selecting their heart of hearts what they think is the strongest 11 that's going to keep sullen in the Premier League, yeah. because it doesn't matter how we stay in the Premier League, we've just got to stay in it. This, this would, you know, if we were to get relegated, this would be the saddest relegation of all, because the irony is that the, the club behind the scenes is set up better than at any time since yeah. the Second World War, you know. Um, but my theory is that, you know, you, you can invest in Africa, you can have a fantastic stadium, you can have world-class training facilities, and all the rest of it but if you want to attract more money into the club and you want to attract more people into the stadium the only way to do it is to get that product on the pitch right that's the Absolutely. only thing that counts in the whole thing
0: and i suppose the midfielders you've mentioned now the callback and dying and Gardner, they the, the, the kind of complement each other a little bit because callback's got the ball retention qualities and and die's got the energy and gardner has got the goal scoring threat i suppose
2: i think i think they're all honest players i think that's the main you know at, at the moment you need you know the proverbial people in the trenches and I think you you will get them they may not be good enough in certain situations you know if you play Man United or Spurs away and we've got coming up but hopefully for the likes of you know, Stoke at home Southampton at home they'll, they'll, they'll be enough um, and there isn't a lot to choose from you know Catamble Catamble unfortunately is like permanently injured mm-hmm. um, or suspended you know a lot of it is sort of um demise from the team has been self-inflicted yeah. but you know we, we can't really go into that argument because the fact is he's, he's not going to be there for the rest yeah. of the season mm-hmm. so we've just got to go with what we've got right I
0: mean we're going to get back to all this um, now we're going to talk about Martin O'Neill in, in particular but we're going to for the next 10 minutes or so we're just going to do something a little bit different we're going to get Craig Coates on the phone who I'm sure a lot of you out there play football manager. Um, it's of course evolved from Championship Manager, where I used to play as a kid, and it's very, very addictive. That's for sure. I wouldn't. I would like to say how many divorce <laughs> divorce rates. Uh, you know, d- uh, that game is to blame for. Um, you know,
1: you, you give it all your attention. Do you play on it, Gareth? Um, I never get past the, uh, the the transfer window when I first start. You know, right. I end up just putting arrows everywhere. <laughs> you know, when you used to on championship manager, you could drag an arrow from, to make somebody run up the wing, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Yeah. I used to just do that. I could never sign anyone, so I was never very good at it, but um, a few of my mates were, well, if people, were if very people, good at it.
2: If, if people
0: are often wondering, you go on there and the, natural, the thing you should always do is, is manage Sunderland, I suppose, if you're a Sunderland fan, mm. and, if you often wonder, you know, you, you disagree with some of the stats there and you say, yeah, oh, he, he's he's not that good or how's he only worth that or things like that, and you often wonder where that comes from. Well, Craig Coates is the man who puts those stats together for Sunderland. Hello, Craig. Hello. So, first of all, can you tell us how you got involved in this in the first place?
3: Um, it was a few years ago I went on the um, the Sports Interactive website where I was, like, watching the reserves and that, just to ask a few things about... What was happening with the research for Sunland, and I just got an email out of the blue from like the guy who organises it, saying, "Do you want to do the research?" And right, the emails later, I uh, had the job.
0: Right. Oh God, that sounds okay. So, so <laughs> what? So what's the process behind it then? I mean, do you do you you just do the the player ratings or or the whole thing, everything regarding Sunland, or what's the process behind it?
3: It's everything regarding Sunland, so. I've basically got to try and see as many matches as I can and do all the player ratings and then I've got to um, do all the sort of mundane data like appearances and loans and fees and everything else that you see on the game that's to do with Sunderland and all their players.
0: Right, so how hard is that to be impartial and Craig because I mean we all sometimes take a dislike to certain players, Um our friends will often say it's irrational. It's, uh, it's irrational, but I suppose we all do it. But do, do you think? Yeah, do you ever let favouritism maybe cloud your judgment a little bit?
3: Um, well, I'm just the same as any other fan. I've got my favourite players and that, but I do try to be impartial. Yeah. We do have a sort of um, system where we've got our own website where all the different researchers can put their ideas on and that, so yeah. we we'll sort of keep each other in check.
0: So you do, you, you sort of then like compare to other clubs, I suppose, because you don't want to sort of um, value someone to play one thing if then somebody from another team values theirs much higher and someone that are sort of like the worst team in the league kind of thing.
3: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I'll do my ratings and I'll sort of try and keep them internally consistent with our squad and then you put them up against everybody else's squad and then you see if anything's sort of out of sorts and get it sorted out.
1: Hi, Craig. So do you... um? Is there a situation? Do you obviously go at the reserve games now? The reserve games are, at, you know, half one on a Tuesday or whatever. So, how how does that affect things?
3: Um, that's actually made it a lot more difficult. Uh, a couple of years ago, I could see like a dozen reserve games in a year, and you could sort of see the players progressing. And it was the same team every week. Whereas yeah. now you only see like one game every couple of months. It might be a completely different team, and it's much harder to rate a player on one game compared to like seeing over half a dozen games because he might just have a really good game or one really bad game and you might like you might not get an idea what he's really like how far
1: how far down do you go then so obviously you got the reserves do you ever did you ever go and see like under 18s games stuff like that um, youth games
3: yeah i've actually seen more under 18s this season than reserves with them all being behind closed doors and then um, Obviously, the under-18s
1: play
3: the same time
1: as the under sixteen, so you sometimes catch a few glimpses of that, yeah. but it's so mainly the under-18s in reserves that I watch. So can you not get a level of uh, accreditation to go... Because obviously the ga- games are now behind closed doors. Um. So, so do you not get something from Sports interactive or do they not contact Sunderland and say, oh, we're going to be sending one of our researchers down? Or does um, no, they're, they're a
3: little bit... Funny about contacting clubs and then um, sort of like chasing the younger players because uh, they don't want to get in any legal minefields, and most of all, they don't want to like have any clubs turn down and say, Yeah, but want we we'll have to pay for that.
1: Yeah,
0: is this something you refresh all the time then, Craig? So, all the way through the season, like, do you, do you have to consider that's for example Son and Dan having a particularly good season this season so is that something that, that, that comes into consideration are you, are you constantly updating players just so that you're not doing it all at the end of the season
3: um, it gets done twice a year so it gets done at the end of the season it will be starting in May probably and then we we'll do it again in January time so right. obviously we we'll are left again in January and we we'll, we' we'll sort of the ratings came out at the uh, start of December and we're doing really badly but then over December and January
0: we had that good run so who didn't actually go as badly in right. the way as <laughs> is perhaps cut off at one point I put it out, I put it out there on Facebook to, to my sort of friends if anybody had any questions for you and my friend James' cousin had one and I laughed it off at first but then the more I thought about it I thought well he is pointing this somewhere because he said ask him how come Adam Johnson's crossing abilities are sort of marked so high <laughs> because he looked like he hasn't been able to cross this season but I suppose when he was at Manchester City last season, so were you even responsible for those figures?
3: Um, no, I had a little bit of look at Johnson on the latest update, but it was mainly the Manchester City right. supporter. Right, because uh, we tend to, like, if somebody signs, we tend to leave them at least a year yeah. before we do anything drastic, because we find that it turns out over the course of a season that generally the previous research I generally had it more right than wrong.
0: Right. Another person on Twitter, Richard James Purden, asked um, how come Bramble was his player of the season and he scored eight goals. Are you responsible for that?
3: And <laughs> um, No, how they perform in the actual <laughs> on, on the game has nothing to do with me. He's probably got better tactics than me. Cause yeah, we would love that. Be true.
1: The score <laughs> a, there was a tongue-in-cheek one, I think, as well, from uh, Andy Malone on Twitter who said, uh, Why is Sunderland so rubbish on Football Managers 2013? Is <laughs> that <It's like> your <laughs> fault.
0: Well, pretty much, yeah. Well, it's true to, It's <laughs> true to form, isn't it? I don't suppose any of us could really argue with that fact, I think. But what, what's your general thoughts um, on the first team coming away from the game, then Craig, at the moment? Is, it, is there anything in, you, you would like to say about the way the season's gone or any tactical input you might have? Um, it's,
3: it's pretty frustrating at the minute. It's, it just seems to be 11 individuals on the pitch at the minute and they all want to do their jobs instead of uh, playing as a team and, seem to forget that the object of the game is to do something different and something unexpected and try and win the match mm-hmm. they all seem to just want to sit in their shells and just do their jobs
0: yeah lack of risk taking. I think that's just what we've been discussing um, ourselves um, well thanks for that insight Craig um, I'm sure a lot of football managers will, will be will be happy with that now um, I'm sure they'll probably be looking into seeing if they could take your job off you now if <laughs> <laughs> a few people might fancy it but um, thanks a lot for your time Craig
3: Thanks a lot. Okay, Cheers. Right, bye. Bye.
0: bye. Thanks to Craig there for giving us his insight. I think that's something we've always just been curious of and I'm, I'm glad he's sort of uh, ironed out some of those questions and things that we always had, I suppose. But uh, well, we're going to get back to the intense stuff now, <laughs> unfortunately, in the studio here. And we're going to talk about Martin O'Neill specifically. Um, Tom, he sold a lot of players in January, despite... His vocal concerns about the squad size. To me, that indicates he's going to make some substantial signings in the summer. Um, Surely, or, you know, it's a bit of a risk that has this backfired now? Because he's obviously thought, OK, I can let these players go. What we have is enough to get us through to the end of the season. And we've sort of crashed a little bit since then. And I suppose, you know, he's made a rod for his own back in that respect because he was the one who came out and said, Our squad isn't strong enough. And then he sold some players.
2: Yeah, he, he sold players. I mean, you know, quite quite a few of the people who went out in January were, were, were sort of um, what would have been called reserve team players who obviously haven't been uh, perceived as to make the grade. My argument with um, Martin O'Neill with regard to player transfers this season is I don't really see the point in letting the likes of uh, El mohammedi and Mailer in particular go. I think David Mailer's last first-team game... Uh, in the premiership was at Stoke City away last season when we won one nil and he was excellent and that was the first time he played first team football um, for, for quite a while after his injury and I think Mailer would have been a, a good player to have around in the current circumstances at least on the bench I also think El Mohamedy who obviously when he was at Sullen on a regular basis you know wasn't rated by a, a lot of fans but he actually came in a couple of times this season as a sub and had a couple of cameo performances one, one of them was at Arsenal away in the first game of the season now he can play anywhere down the right and I just think that uh, with his pace and to give him his due, he is a, a pretty committed player I think rather than let him go to Hull on loan he should have been on our bench I mean we've had the situation at least two or three times in recent weeks where Martin O'Neill whether he's been trying to make a point or well a shot or not I don't know but having six players on the bench at QPR we had uh, five defenders uh, no strikers Mm -hmm. now for a club of Sunderland standing in the premiership to have the opportunity to have seven substitutes and only name six to me is you know (laughs) again it's going back to the old you know this happens on a Sunday morning because you can't get enough players we're a professional football club and I you know with regard to the players who've gone out you know I think we we sold Mailer for allegedly a million a million and a half pounds well in, in current sort of uh, financial parlance, that, that that's mm-hmm. that's nothing. He could have been an old bench. Um, Sorkdale, mohammedi uh, we had Wickham out for a, you know a few weeks at Sheffield Wednesday when he'd already decided he'd let Fraser Campbell go. He yeah. let Jay go again. Not saying Jay and Fraser Campbell are the greatest players, but like when mains must. They should have been around but Fraser Cameron. One's interesting
0: because a lot of people are saying, "Oh, well, you're better off getting a fee from now, or he would have walked for nothing in the summer." It was only yeah. six hundred thousand pounds. It wasn't yeah. exactly a world breaking fee, yeah. was it?
2: Yeah, I don't think Fraser Cameron had been playing very well this season. No, he was no, certainly not a favourite of mine. To be honest, I think the championship is his level. You know, yeah. he's a whole, again wholehearted player. I hope he does very well for himself. And and obviously so far at, at Cardiff, he has done well. Mm-hmm. But I just think, in our circumstances, with not having a lot to choose from. The likes of Fraser Campbell, G. Mila, and El Mahamidi could have been around. They could have been on this scene, yeah. and then let them go at the end of this season. Um, I think Martin O'Neill has contradicted himself a little bit with, yeah, with certain decisions.
0: Definitely, there's certain players. I think it's obvious. we'll know now they aren't in his plans if we're still in the Premier League and he's still our manager. Do you think Gareth that in that respect he, he's maybe lost some of the dressing room a little bit and that and the the trying for him as 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 much as possibly they they not ordinarily would because. They, I think let's be honest. The likes of David Vaughan, I think, will realise you know he's not going to be here much longer, surely.
1: Um, I'd like to think that they didn't take that attitude into games because they're being they're being paid mm-hmm. uh, to play for Sunderland. So yeah, like, that's, and, and that's and in that, an ideal world, isn't yeah, it? it? Um, yeah, a player should know when he isn't playing very well, um, and he will. And if the attitude's right, they should be. Doing everything in the power to to put that right, and they'll know they'll get. I mean, you look at David Miles, a good example, and Fraser Campbell. They they know it wasn't working out for them at Sunderland, and they moved on, and they're playing regularly now for clubs in the Championship. I'm sure they they're delighted that mm-hmm. they're, they're playing regularly. Um, I, I don't know about Martin O'Neill, like you know, pushing players out. It's not situations like when we when Reid was here, and you know you had. Johnson, uh, Alan, Alan Johnston, on a, on a, you know, year left on his contract, and yeah. he decides he's going to freeze him out. You know, but we're not in that situation. I think O'Neill's the kind of person who does command a level of respect from his players, regardless of those situations. And um, I actually went to see a talking with John Harton um, a, a couple of months ago, and and he talked a lot about Martin O'Neill and was you know full of praise and said that one of the greatest half-time team team talks he yeah. ever had was when they played Liverpool at Anfield and when he played for Celtic mm-hmm. and you know O'Neill's got this sort of stuff in his logger um, mm-hmm. and I think he's the kind of person who can in- inspire somebody to, to 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 play for the club. Well but, you
0: wonder what happened on Sunday when well, that half-time but, <laughs> team
1: talk. But, you, you, but is that, it's, a, it's a repeated issue you know what is wrong with Sunderland Football Club? Yeah. What is the, the, you can change your manager, you can change your players, and it's the same. It's always the same.
0: Well, in that in that respect, Tom, one answer to that would be that a lot of people keep saying this. We hear this from Aston Villa fans all the time. Are Martin O'Neill's methods are they outdated? Are they old fashioned? And the fact that there's nothing wrong with Sunderland, it's just that you know we've evolved, times moved on from then. Or do you think they'd be perfectly fine if I had the right personnel in?
2: I don't think his his methods are, are outdated as such because you know this was never an argument when he first came to Sunderland. I mean, Aston Villa fans I think were a little bit peeved when he when he left them. You know they did finish six three seasons in a row and they had some you know they had some good players playing for them like Stuart Downing and Ashley Young and um, you know they, they did very well over a, you know over three seasons better than they've obviously done since. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a very strange comment of Martin O'Neill's before the Norwich game last week when he said to the press that he thought that Sunderland squad lacked real, true ability. Yeah. I think that you know isn't what you know players sitting down on a Sunday morning as they would have been doing before the Norwich game, having the breakfast, reading the you know yeah, like reading it. the sports pages. Even though a lot of footballers say they don't read the sport, they do. <laughs> um, and, and to read that, I think. Some people sort of contest. As well, he might have been saying to try and motivate them, but it it, it isn't what you are in that situation. That we're like real real ability, and especially real
0: like I say, if the likes of David Vaughan, who it's pretty evident that they won't be here much longer. You wouldn't have mm-hmm. thought it if they're sort of sitting back thinking, "I'm not in the manager's plans," yeah. and now I'm reading he's coming out saying it's because we're not very good. We have got quality. Is he talking about me? And yeah. is that going to be? Is that going to really motivate him?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there's a the, again there's a, there's a handful of players at Sunderland who it, it seems to be almost common knowledge that. They're not gonna be here come the start of next season, Titus Bramble and, and Matt Kilgallen being two others. Um David Vaughan I, I could understand why Sunday will let him go to be honest because you see performances like you gave against West Ham, where he, you know he's almost bordering on world class, yeah. and then in the next game just totally ineffective. And, yeah. and I think this is again this is a problem probably of a lot of Sunderland players, and this is something that separates decent footballers from great footballers is a level of performance week in week out, mm-hmm. and the successful sides of, you know. Got people who'll give you seven, eight, nine out of ten every week, whereas we have somebody who'll give you like nine out of ten one week and then they'll go down to, you know. I think Graham Anderson in the Echo last week was, was marked, he marked Adam Johnson at three, mm-hmm. you know, which you very rarely see, you know, you normally get that for, for tying your bootlaces and getting out on the pitch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's just a lot of contradictions going on with various situations mm-hmm. at, at, at Sullivan, and I think. Probably the time for the you know the railing quest is on the final whistle at the Spurs game yeah. at the end of the season. I
0: mean, I'm a Martin O'Neill supporter, but he you know he isn't immune from criticism. And the, the one issue I have with him is is that he's failure to adapt sort of thing. We were talking about formations earlier, and if if he has this plan how the game should be played in the formation in his mind, but he doesn't have the players who can help execute that. Mm-hmm. Then he really should be having a look and thinking, okay, what can I do with this bunch of players that I have until I can bring in all the players just, I want?
2: Just very quickly against Norwich last week, you know, another situation like the Bolton Cup game that we referred to earlier, you're looking to win the game and he brings Conor Wickham on with seven minutes yeah. to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, mm-hmm. it, it just these, this sort of decision making needs to happen a lot earlier in the game. Yeah. There's been some games this season where there should have been probably two people brought on at half time in certain games, that Bolton Cup game. Which obviously you can tell is a, a, a bit of a bugbear of mine, um, <laughs> as, as are both cup competitions. Because I think, like most Sunderland fans, I, I sat at home a few weeks ago watching Bradford City Complex yeah, exactly, in the League yeah. Cup final, thinking, for God's sake, you know, th- th- that should be us. Yeah,
1: without a doubt. It was. It was. That yeah, is. It's just classic. It is a classic. Sunderland. That's what it's called. It's endemic. It's like Sunderland. That's what it is. It's going out meekly in the FA Cup in the fifth round to mm. you know
0: and that's something Martin O'Neill was supposed to bring to the table wasn't it a cup manager yeah. but um, right I mean we're gonna have to wrap it up pretty shortly but there was a lot of sort of overreaction again after the game I suppose from the fans but you know Gareth did, did we stick a twist with Martin O'Neill well
1: you've got to stick you've got to. you've got to try and keep a level of consistency um, you know we've made the mistakes in the past second McCarthy with 10 games to go in the season There's just no no sense in it doing stuff like that. It'd be the similar sort of decision. It's not gonna.
0: I wasn't arguing that decision at the time. but, But
1: what? But you just you just end up back at the same place. You end up back at the same place every time. And we're nowhere further forward than we were ten years ago. And we've heard, we've heard uh oh, it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like that. And imagine what it's going to, what it'd be like if we have gone to Europe. And imagine, you know, we can't even get past the fourth round of the <laughs> League Cup against Championship teams, against League One teams mm-hmm. at times. Um, on regular, it's 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 more irregular that we will eat our way into a, an FA Cup quarter final and not turn up than you know we will get knocked out of a of a lower league side in, in the FA Cup. It's, it as I know, it's just. <laughs>
2: Right, Tom, We stick or twist? Um, stick. I think that, you know, we, we do need some stability. Uh, his past record is pretty good. I hope that, you know, what's happened this season has hardened him to the changes that need to be made, you know, that he will be sitting in, the, in his private moments thinking, I've really got to do something about this. Of course, the catalyst to the, uh, the whole thing, really, is will Ellis Short give him some real money to spend because if Sunderland want to go to this mythical next level then they're going to have to spend some some serious money and I I don't know exactly what the profit and loss Situation is with Ellis Short, you know, since he took I, over. That's under Steve Bruce's much, management. It seems
0: okay, doesn't it? With the tra- I think that's why he's let players go. I think he's been told let them go, and I think yeah. he's made a gamble and think this will be okay till the that's end it. of the season. And I think there will be a platform there for uh-huh. him to to buy yeah. in the summer. That's what it seems that's like
2: it. to me. It's all right, you know. Everybody said twenty million for Jordan Henderson was a good fee, and twenty-four million for Darren Benton and thirteen for Jean. but What you've got to do in those situations is bring in people to replace them who are actually better than yeah. the people you let go. Mm-hmm. And this goes back exactly what Gareth's saying but I, I can take it back even further you know I can remember you know when I was a kid Colin Todd being transferred out of Sunderland going to uh, going to Derby under Brian Clough and becoming yeah. the best central yeah. centre back in in Britain you know and one of the best in the world and then you had the, the 73 cup team broke up within a year you know yeah. Dennis Stewart and Dave Watson going out they've, they've just got to get it into their heads that if you know if, if they want to do something and we're not daft. We're not asking for like top four or anything. I, I think most fans this season expected maybe top ten, possibly top eight, in mm-hmm. a, a decent cup run. You know, and we've actually yeah. gone backwards in real terms. I think
0: Jordan Henderson would have been perfect for a midfield at the moment because one thing—I mean, I always stick up for Jordan Henderson. A lot of people don't like him, because I, I think the, the positives, the strengths of his game are, are things that you know that don't jump out at you. But the problem we have at the moment have been we've been touching on it—is how long it's taken to get the ball from A to B. Jordan's main strength, and Fabio Capello said it when he when he put him in the England squad that first time, was he takes minimal touches with the ball. He used to get it from a deep position, and within two put touches, the ball was moved on quick, nice and sharpish, nice mm. and fast. Would you have an team at the minute Gareth?
1: Well, definitely. If 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 he's an option, he'd definitely be in
0: there. Yeah, but and he it, isn't. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm saying so. <laughs> at the end of the day, in hindsight, you know what have we done with that money? We spent a large chunk of it on Conor Wickham. Yeah. So you you know in hindsight was that a good decision?
1: Well, I think they had to, they had to take them away. I think for Henderson as well. We you don't know what goes on behind. I mean, we talked about going back to that. Or well, O'Neill's come out in the press and said this stuff about. He said this about the ability of the players. Maybe he was trying something different. You don't know what he's. You don't know what he said to them in the past. And maybe he's just got the stage. where I'm going to have to try something, and it might gee, the moment, like you say, it, it didn't work, and it might have been a misguided thing to say at this mm-hmm. stage of the season. You know, selling. Henderson, um, Henderson might have wanted to, wanted to leave. You don't know. You might have saw the Liverpool You mm, might yes. have saw the Liverpool opportunity and thought, you know, what a good opportunity that is to go and play for Liverpool mm-hmm. But I think what, what they've built, I think they've been building awards this summer because of the financial fair play and the money that's coming in from the, from the, from the television deal in the summer is massive mm-hmm. And I think they've been working awards this summer for if we we'll go down it'll be an absolute disaster to miss out on that you know yeah. to miss out on that money that could that, that could be the it'll be like the Danny Graham chance in the Norwich game if you score that it's it's all mm-hmm. different and that's what that's what it is and if we go down and don't get that money You know, I'd just be mortified. It's getting a stage
0: where it's all you can think about, isn't
1: it? Yeah.
0: I think time's beat us again, so we're going to have to wrap things up there. I'd like to thank Gareth Barker from Solution and Tom Lynn. Thank you. Former editor of the Wayside Raw, of course. I feel like I'm ending the Crime Watch programme here. Try not to have nightmares, (laughs) people. Over and out.